This is the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. I'm just looking for talented people, and the more I got to know Kyle, uh, the more I realized that this was somebody that obviously was was an extreme talent. I'm just an assistant uh, GM. I'll, I'll do what I'm asked and then go from there, but I'm, I'm just here to, to give my opinion and, and try to present information and go from there. Going to throw the shot on a glove save, on an excellent save made by Reimer. Okay, James, the busy offseason is just about done. It's not officially done, but I think just about everything is, is in the books, aside from maybe a, a, a couple uh, front office hires still to be made. So where we stand now at the end of the offseason, how much better do you think this team is or how much different do you think this team is? I think it's different. You know, if we're talking about better in terms of talent level, I don't think it's a whole huge uh, amount of better in terms of talent level. I mean, you've written this already. I I mean, you said that the biggest difference has to be in the system they play and what the coaches bring to the table. But you look at the roster, I mean, especially they made a lot of changes. They brought in a lot of depth forwards, the latest addition being David Booth. There's going to be a real battle to not only make the team, but to get minutes on this team just because, you know, they're the 13th and 14th forwards, I think, can play in the NHL. And that's a good setup for a team like this to have and, and just sort of put all of these guys in in a situation in training camp where they have to earn jobs. And if they can pick up the right players, which is going to be the key to earn the jobs, and they don't just have Colton Orr and Fraser McLaren getting two-year contracts, that'll be a big positive over what happened last year at training camp. Well, and, and I think you make an important point for a team that's in transition, that's not contending for a cup, that needs to be moving in a positive direction, signing players on July 1st to long-term deals who aren't key pieces who aren't impact players doesn't make sense. I think they finally made the right move in going with a lot of these low-risk, high-upside type players. Like you mentioned Booth, Mike Santarelli, you know, Conciola. Isn't that the direction teams like this need to take more often? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's the direction that a lot more teams should take in general. And free agency is, I mean, frankly, it's such a ripoff. You look at some of the contracts that were given out. I mean, how can anyone justify paying Dave Boland five and a half million, and then Derek Roy, who's basically you know who's close to the same age, Derek Roy gets a million dollars from the Nashville Predators, and the biggest difference in the contracts is that they just waited to see who was available, uh, you know, a week or a few days after free agency, and that's what the Leafs did a whole lot more. I mean, they it worked last year with Mason Raymond, but you know now you got Santarelli, you got Contiola, you got David Booth. And maybe these aren't the sexiest names, but like I said, they've got, it looks like they've got more depth. And a lot of these guys are wild cards. We don't know what David Booth's going to do. We don't know what Santorelli's going to do. We have no idea what a guy like Contiola's going to do. But if a couple of these guys pay off, it's going to give them a lot more forward depth than they had last year. Well, and that's what happened also. You mentioned Mason Raymond. Clark MacArthur was the same thing when they signed him for like a million bucks late in August. But you touch on a couple of things that I want to ask you about and I've been curious about. The first that you'll get to in a second is the defense. I want to ask you specifically about what they've done to the defense and whether you think it's better. But first off, you mentioned Boland, and I think it's a really he's a really fascinating test case for kind of the tug and pull between the old guard and kind of the new emerging guard because is Dave Boland worth four more? $4 million more a year than someone like Derek Roy on a long-term deal. 
I think Dave Bolin represents what a lot of the the old school guys love in a hockey player. They love the, the grit. They love the leadership. The, whatever you want to use in terms of adjectives to describe the way he plays. And yet, that escapes the value. Do you, do you think we're going to get to a point where those notions are no longer relied on as heavily as they still are today? I think so. I think we're starting to get there where, yeah, I, I mean, obviously with Kyle Dubas being hired by, by the Leafs, that's going to be one move in that direction for this franchise. But all around the league, you know, what's happening in hockey is that teams are trying to better quantify what helps teams win games and what players are actually worth. And, and you know, you, you say that, and then there, you still have Washington signing Brooks Orpik to a huge deal. And, I mean, there's still a lot of mistakes made around the NHL. But the teams that are winning, I think, are making a lot more smart decisions than they probably did in the past. And, you know, it's not just about analytics. You're right, it's, it's, it's about value. And the salary cap has really fundamentally changed how you build a good team in the NHL. And, you know, uh, the more guys that outperform their contracts, the better. And the Leafs just have not had enough of those guys in recent years. And they've had too many David Clarksons who have you know, underperform their contracts by a wide margin. And that just kills you under the salary cap. And I love the word value, and I don't think there's a more important word maybe in the cap era than value. And and I think, I know you're not a baseball fan, but if you look in baseball, one of the best teams, I think they might actually be tops in baseball right now, is Oakland. And they've always consistently had one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, and it's right there again this year. They find value in their players. How do you think front offices go about finding more value in terms of what they're bringing onto their rosters? A lot of different ways, but I mean, you know, it's, it's in signing guys that some other teams might avoid. Um, What happened in baseball? I mean, everyone knows the story about what happened in baseball with because Moneyball made it so famous where the statisticians realized that on base percentage was, being overlooked, you know, it wasn't valued as highly as it should be, and that players that were good at getting on base weren't valued as high as they should be. And that really created a shift. And I think what's happening in the NHL is that some teams, not all teams, but some teams are realizing that that puck possession, which we talked about all year, obviously, with the Leafs, puck possession and Corsi and Fenwick and all these kind of things, uh, is undervalued in the NHL because it has something that hasn't really been measured or talked about a lot uh, up until the last three or four years. And you know, I look at it what a team like Pittsburgh did with signing Christian Erhoff. I mean, that, to me, looks like uh, an analytics kind of move. Or you look at what Edmonton did with Benoit Pouliot and Mark Fain. I mean, those are two guys that had very, very good Corsi percentages. They got huge contracts, I would argue, uh, in large part on the basis of that number. And we haven't seen a whole lot of that happen. And it's going to be interesting if teams are sort of overvaluing Corsi now, whereas before they didn't, they undervalued it. Well, that's what happened in baseball for a while there on-base percentage became inflated. It became, like, that was no longer a market inefficiency for a while, and now they've developed, not developed, but they've kind of found different stats to measure different things. And, and I've dubbed it, and I don't, it's probably stupid to dub it anything, but I've called it money puck, just because now teams are looking at things differently and, and maybe not, like, there was a point in that movie, and if you read the book, it was the same thing, that old-school scouts had all these notions of what a player should look like. There was, Well, he looks like a ball player, and I think it's the same thing to a degree in hockey. Well, he looks like a hockey player, and now I think you're seeing teams start to get away with that. You wrote that the, the Dubas hiring signaled you know, kind of a change in, in tone, I guess, for the, the front office of the Leafs. 
Why do you think that is? <laughs> Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, well, I think it has something to do with analytics. It's, I think that's part of part it. Of it. it part of it. Part of it. That's not. That's not everything. I mean, the most damning statement that that Brennan Shanahan made was that there were people that worked in the least front office that were afraid of certain ideas or certain words. And I think he's 100% correct. And it's been a big problem, you know, not just this last season, but the last couple of years. And there have been too many people in the front office that have just been, you know, making fun of all this kind of stuff, while other teams have been becoming more increasingly interested in it. And, you know, the, the Leafs, to not have it, as Dave Nona said it in November, uh, to not use their analytics budget at all when they've actually got one and they're able to spend money, it just shows um, a lack of ingenuity, you know, a, a lack of creative thinking, a lack of willingness to ask some different questions. You know, what they should be saying, what are what are what is LA doing? You know, what is Chicago doing? Are they using analytics? Are they hiring certain people? We're the least. We have lots of money. We can do things like that. You know, why are we why are we talking about some of these concepts and? You know, the fact that I, I know that some of the, the numbers talked about in the media and by the fans and the blogosphere are perhaps a little bit simple, but it's better to have simple data and know how to use it and know its limitations than to just make fun of and laugh at all data. And that you really got the sense that that's what the Leafs front office was, was doing. And by hiring Kyle Dubas, they're not going to do that anymore. Well, and I, I like the statement from Shanahan where he said, you know, I like to have people around who are going to challenge my ideas and, and yeah. think differently. And, and I think he represents um, a different line of thinking. And, and to add to your point, I, I, the one thing I can't grasp um, about hardliners on the other side of the argument is, is what's the downside to looking at these things? Like you're only going to enrich your opinions, enrich your your you know, your knowledge base by learning different things about different players through stats and through your eyes. Um, and, and that's why I, I don't see the downside. But what do you think this does long-term for Dave Nonis? Like, does this change the dynamic for his future? Or, or do you think this it still remains the same, that his pressure on the job is, is still, you know, the same as it was when Shanahan was hired? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of pressure on Dave Nonis. You know, both he and Randy Carlisle are in not very comfortable positions at all, um, you know, to put it lightly. I, I mean, Brendan Shanahan got rid of all the assistant coaches that, that Carlisle had and got rid of all the assistant GMs that, uh, that Dave Nona's had. I mean, that's, that's pretty unique in pro sports that something like that happens and you keep the top guys. It doesn't happen. Like, yeah. I know they use the example of the NFL. That would be like them keeping the head coach but firing the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the special teams. Like, it doesn't happen. It's yeah, so unique. Especially, especially with the general manager, too. I mean, generally you decide you want that group of front office people. And, and the thing, too, I mean, it, it's, you can't just say that this is all on Claude Lazelle and Dave Poulin. I mean, Dave Nonis was part of that the sort of group think that I think was going on with that, where they didn't, they did the opposite of what Shanahan's talking about. They didn't challenge each other's ideas. They kind of, it was a very, it was like an echo chamber, and they made fun of anything that anyone else presented from the outside. And it was obviously something that, that I ran into dealing with, with the management group because of, you know, some of the ideas that I talk about and stuff. I mean, they thought it was a complete joke, you know, some of the things that we were writing. And and it's it's hard in Toronto because they get so many different things thrown at them. They get a lot of different groups, I think, coming to them with, with ideas. They get media saying all kinds of stuff. They get used to saying that things in the media and the things the fans are talking about are stupid. 
they were wrong on this. They were really wrong on this. And some of the roster moves that they made uh, that were uh, sort of counter to analytics came back to bite them and made the team worse. And that's why they regressed. That's why they had such a tough year. It's a big reason why they did anyway. Yeah, well, and you touched on it, and I wrote about it uh, as far as Randy Carlisle is concerned. The one thing that was interesting to me about him last year, as far as analytics are concerned, he talked about possession all the time. But it was like he almost couldn't make that step as to how you go about engineering more possession time. And, And so do you think that there's a transition coming where there's more emphasis placed on actually keeping the puck rather than playing that style uh, that, that he feels is conducive to success, which has been proven not to be. Well, I'll put it this way. I mean, I know Kyle Dubas pretty well. You know, I, I've talked to him quite a few times. We've had lunch and always been very impressed with him. And that's one of the things that he believes in. And that's one of the things that he got the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. That's one of the things that he wanted to implement was, you know, this talk of keeping the puck and, you know, uh, entering the zone don't without dumping it in with, you know, a controlled zone entry, they call it, while, while keeping the puck. Um, he's interested in all of those kind of ideas and how they help you become a better team. So absolutely. And I think one of the things that's going to happen, and I don't believe it's happened yet, but uh, Kyle Dubas and whoever they potentially hire, uh, that's in the analytics side of things is going to meet with the coaching staff and talk about some of these ideas and talk about how they can make the team better. And that's the kind of change that Brendan Shanahan is pushing for. And I think that people should be excited about that and, and that he should get some kudos for finally sort of turning thing, the, the, the philosophy of the organization in, in a better direction. See, I, I want to be careful about giving them too much credit yet. Because, yeah. like, nothing's happened. And and listen, like, as much as Brendan Shanahan has talked about embracing analytics, he still wanted them to re-sign David Boland. Like, yep. he was still part of that the group that wanted to bring in Josh Georges, who was making a lot of money for a lot of years. And anyway, I, I guess the point is the, the, they're moving in the right direction, right? It's, it's, it's about a philosophical change. It's about being open to different ideas. Yeah, that's it. It's about getting away from the old boys club. It's about making people accountable, too. I mean, the one thing that I think drove a lot of fans crazy is that the Leafs, they, they didn't make their front office accountable. I mean, the team, a lot of those guys had been there. I mean, Dave Nose has been there, I think, since 2008, uh, Poulin since 2009, and Lozelle since 2010. They've had a lot of losing seasons. They've made a lot of personnel decisions that were very, very poor, and there was never any accountability for it. And it was almost kind of like... I, I don't know. I, I just think that, that that has to be there. I mean, if if there are consistently mistakes made in an organization, you can't just paper them over and say everything's fine all the time and make excuses all year for why the team's not winning games or why it doesn't look very good on the ice. I mean, that is on those guys for what the team looked like. Okay, well, as far as accountability is concerned, we haven't touched on this much, and I think we will as, as training camp gets closer, but how long do you think the leash is for Randy Carlisle? Like, if they get off to a poor start, is he in trouble? Like, do you think yeah. it's that short? I do, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, I the, the tough thing in the NHL is you can't really read too much into a 20- or 30-game stretch for how good a team is, and even bad teams can have really good 20- or 30-game stretches. So I don't think we can sit here and say that the Leafs are going to be bad in the first 20 or 30 games. It's just not enough. I mean, who knows? But, I mean, Philly fired Peter Laviolette after yeah. three games. I don't know that. I don't think it'll be that quick because they did 
give Carlisle kind of a vote of confidence in, in, in keeping him. Ah. But I think I, I don't think they're going to fire him three or four. You think it'll be no? Better? I don't. I, I just thirty games. I could see it. I, I, and, I, and I think that's probably fair. But yeah. uh, even thirty games doesn't really give you a representation. It's just it's such a unique set of situation. Like it, it, I've never seen anything like this. So how do we judge? Success. I guess we need to see how they play, if they play differently. But I want to make sure we talk about this. Um, I mentioned it. The defense looks a lot different. I think it's deeper. I like the word sturdier than it was before. I'm not sure. I think it's better. I don't think Polak is better than Gunnarsson. I think that's a downgrade. But I think it's more like well-rounded. Like You could potentially have a third pair of, I don't know, Riley and Franzen or, or Gardner and Franzen which is a lot better than Ranger and Fraser. What do you think? I'm not very excited about the defense, to be honest with you. I mean, I've looked at it a lot. I, I like Stefan Robidaud, but he's getting older. I don't know how he's going to recover from the injuries. I mean, Stefan Robidaud, I think, was a really underrated player. He's one of those guys that can give you a lot of value. And for $3 million, if he can still be that player, then yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good addition. But in my opinion, I think probably what's going to happen is uh, I think that Carlisle's probably going to go with some pretty safe defense pairings. It's probably going to be Fanuf and Robida on the first pairing, uh, Gardner, Franzen, if they keep Franzen, which I, I know that they're they're trying not to trade him, so who knows, and, and, and Riley and Polak on the third pairing. And I just don't see that working. You know, I don't see how that's going to be a much better defense core than what they had last year. I mean, you can try and convince me otherwise, but... I just I don't see it. Well, I, if if those are the pairings, I think Riley Polak is better than Ranger Fraser. Like I don't know how you dispute that. But to your point, if you're going to be creative, is getting a little bit creative, saying, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to play Gardner with Fanuf. We're going to not put them in as many difficult situations as we have. That's Maybe we'll do. put Riley with Robidaw. Put them in difficult situations because we think that Riley might be able to handle that in his second year, and then maybe have a third pair of, uh, I don't know, whomever. Or you find another left defenseman. If you're looking at moving Cody Franzen and there's a left defenseman you can bring in, then that's who you play with Roby Duh. But I like the idea of trying Gardner with Phaneuf. I know everyone's going to say, well, you know, they're going to turn the puck over and all this kind of stuff. But not if you can get them in the right kind of minutes. And when they have played together, they've had very, very good possession stats. There's not a lot of minutes to look at, but they've been very, very good, and they're both good offensive players. So, And, you know, one of the things that's not Dion's strength is carrying the puck up the ice. So if he's got a guy that can help him do that, when he played with Anders Ericsson in Calgary, he was a pretty effective defenseman. So, you know, the game's getting faster. It's getting more about carrying the puck. It's about getting more. It's more about... Um, you know, making good passes and things like that. And I think that that could be interesting. I, I don't know for sure that it was going to work, but I just think thinking outside the box with the blue line would be better than moving Phaneuf to the side he doesn't like to play on, putting him with Robida, who's probably slowing down, given, uh, was he 38 now? And um, giving those guys all of the really difficult minutes, you know, giving them all the PK time, uh, some of the power play time, all of the tough assignments, I just think that that might be a recipe for disaster. Let me ask you this about Cody Franzen. He's going to, next summer, he's going to be overpaid. I think that's probably safe to say, depending on what kind of year he has. Yeah. But why do you think there was so much, I don't know what the right word is, angst about him with the Leafs? Like, they've never gotten to a point where they fully embraced what he is. And, and I think part of it is they wanted to put him in a situation that maybe he's just not 
good enough to play, or maybe that's not what he's best suited to play. Like, they wanted him to be a top-four defenseman. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just a really good five or six who can help your power play, help your offense, but is better playing in, you know, those sheltered minutes. I think he's a number five, yeah. I mean, you know, Nashville thought he was a number six, and that's why they were willing to move him, and that's what he always was there. I mean, they never played him more than 15 or 16 minutes a game. Leafs played him 21 last year. But that's the point. Maybe that's not, like, maybe that's what he is, and maybe you just realize that and try to put him in those situations. Yeah, but then then you get into the question, I mean, is, is... I'm trying to think what the contract he got was three point three, right? Yeah. So three is three point three too much for a number five? For Absolutely. A third guy? Yeah. So uh, that's the tough thing with those guys that are kind of specialists like that. I mean, Franzen's better than some of the guys we've seen before that have had that role. Like I kind of think of like a Mark Andre Bergeron, who's just who's just an offensive defenseman, and they it's it's hard for teams to know what to do with those guys. Franzen is kind of unlike any other player in the league. I can't think of any. There's no one really like him. No. A big guy. That he's not the most mobile skater, but he's a very good shooter. He's got a good pass, first pass often, um, and he's deadly on the power play. I mean, what is that guy worth? I don't know. Like he's like a four or five, and like you've you've pointed out some of the statistics online, and, and I reiterate it when I wrote wrote about it last week or whenever it was. Like the last two years, he's twentieth among defensemen in points. Like. Yeah. I, I don't know how you argue with some of these things. People will point to the plus minus rating, which you and I both know is overvalued, but, like, you're right. He's he's such a unique product. I think that that's part of the problem, and then he's got such a good arbitration case because points are, and, and minutes played are such a big part of arbitration that, you know, for his side, it was a no-brainer. I think he probably would have got for more than $3.3 million in arbitration, to be honest, if Me you too. look at it. You know, Jason Demers got 3.4, and he doesn't have the same sort of, of background, but... The reality is that Franzen's probably a number five, or if you get him a really good partner, he can be your number four. And I, the Leafs didn't quite have that. I mean, Franzen played a lot with Morgan Riley last year, and Riley was finding his feet at the beginning of the year, and the pairing looked really bad sometimes. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I think Gardner is going to be so interesting this year to see what he can be. Yeah. Um, just want to go back to one other thing, and then we probably got to wrap up. We're short on time. The group up front. Um, how do you like when you talk about thinking outside the box? Do you think there's anything that Carlisle can do with the forward groupings to think outside of the box? He could look at giving more sheltered minutes to to a pairing. Uh, the tough thing with what he's got is who's going to take the 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 toughest assignments. There so isn't. It, it's going to be Bozak, Kessel, and JVR. Yeah, which isn't ideal, right? I mean, because that line struggled last year. You know, they had good years offensively. But you look how badly they were outshot, and you wonder, you know, if their shooting percentage comes down a little bit, if we're going to be talking about pretty big plus-minus numbers for those guys. And so if that's the way they go, then I think what you do is you look to really create a sheltered offensive line with Kadri and then a line that can help take some of the defensive assignments on the third line. And, Mm. you know, maybe that's... One guy I'd be interested to see play with Kadri is Contiola. You know, you look at his numbers in the limited time he played in Chicago... He played with Robert Lang. Uh, they were very, very effective in terms of controlling the puck. He could be a guy that, that meshes well with Lupo and Kadri in a sheltered offensive kind of line. Um, and I think that that right-wing spot with Lupo and Kadri is going to be one of the ones that's really difficult for them to fill, and that's going to be a big battle. And Well, they've got know, a lot of contestants for it. Like, you can put Fratt yeah. in there. You could put uh, Santorell. Like, you can go in a lot of different directions. Booth, maybe? I don't know. 
Yeah, and Booth normally plays left. left. Yeah, but you yeah, can but move Lupul to the right. Lupul could play on the right. Yeah, so it's it's going to be really interesting what happens with the forwards. I mean, and I think they they need to think outside the box. The other thing they really have to do is have a skilled fourth line. You know, I think it's I think that's happening now. Yeah, but like a really skilled fourth line, like not a Bodie Ashton. Like I think that they should actually go with some finesse on that that fourth line and hmm. try and make other teams pay. You know, and it. And the tough thing, I mean, what do you do with David Clarkson? I mean, I guess you got to put him on a third line, probably with Komarov. But then my concern there would be that that line is not going to generate any offense at all, and you're going to be negating whatever centerman you use between those two guys, what they can do. Yeah, they've got to find that balance. Anyway, unfortunately, we don't have any more time. We'll we'll come back and, and get another one well before the season, right? Like maybe a couple weeks before camp? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I, I mean, there's still other things that need to happen with James Reimer and things like that. So I think there's going to be a lot to talk about even in early September. I guess we shall see. We will chat again soon. Thanks, James. Thanks. Bless my heart. Bless my soul. I didn't think I'd make it to 22 years old. There must be someone. Come on up.